0: Well hello again, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, the weekly newsletter and podcast that seeks to bring the truth of Christ crucified from the scriptures and bring it to bear on every aspect of our lives as God's people. Now I say it's a weekly podcast and newsletter, but of course if you're on the free list and you'll be hearing this if you're on the free list because this is one of the free public editions, then The Painful Truth comes out Every few weeks for you, about once a month. Uh, if you'd like to receive it every single week, you need to become a subscriber or partner. And signing up as a subscriber or partner is a very simple thing to do. You just head across to the website that's thepainfultruth.online. The Painful Truth, spelt in that strange way, P A Y N E, painfultruth.online. And you can sign up there to become a subscriber. It costs just a few dollars a month, and that contributes to supporting me doing this writing work and the other writing work that I also do for Christian resources the rest of the time. However, there's an even better way to become a partner slash subscriber at the moment, and that's to take out a free trial. If you put the words free trial 60 in after the website name, so if you do thepainfultruth.online slash free trial 60, all one word, that'll take you to a page that allows you to try the painful truth for 60 glorious days without paying a cent and see if you like it. See if you like receiving it every week and find it useful, not only for yourself, but for sharing with others. And if you want to then continue subscribing, then after that 60 days, you'll start chipping in a few dollars each month to help me keep doing this and to support me in doing this. So check that out if you'd like to that's thepainfultruth.online/freetrial60 if you'd like to get the painful truth each and every week well that's enough of the promotional blather at the beginning that i probably feel it's necessary to do let's get on to today's topic which is the subject of fear and in particular fear in a time of covid now there have been many many christian pixels spilt and spoiled over the last several weeks and months about COVID-19, about vaccination, about conscience, about civil disobedience, about weaker brothers and stronger brothers, about the freedom to gather, about the desirability of not excluding anyone as we do so, and much more besides. And I wasn't really planning to spill any more pixels on this subject. However, there is one facet that I haven't seen much written about and which I think is important. In dealing with differences of opinion among Christians about how to handle various things, and in particular how to handle COVID-related issues, the main lens that I've seen most people use is conscience. Given that we have different views about things, we should be considerate with each other and not force one another to go against our consciences, not cause one another to stumble and so on. Along the lines of Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 to 10 and those sorts of passages. However, I don't think conscience really is the main issue, at least not in most cases. Now just to clarify, when I say conscience, I'm talking about the inner grief or pain we experience when we go against the moral standards that we hold. Now those standards may be the right ones or not. They may be aligned with God's standards or not, depending on how Morally Well-educated we are, I suppose you'd say. But the experience, the feeling of conscience, that awful sick feeling in our guts, it happens when our moral decisions part company with our moral compass. Conscience is like a kind sort of moral Geiger counter. It starts beeping louder and louder the closer we get to doing something morally toxic, something that is against whatever values we hold. And then it administers a nasty shock if we go ahead and actually do it. So conscience relates to what we view as morally right or wrong, or good or evil. And this is why it's so important, as passages in the New Testament tell us, not to force one another to go against our conscience. Because the conscience is connected to what we genuinely believe to be right and wrong. It's connected to sin. Now, I know of some people on different sides of the COVID debate for whom there are questions of conscience involved, who think, for example, that the COVID vaccines were developed in morally reprehensible ways by relying on stem cell lines from embryos and that kind of thing. And if that's your position, then conscience may well be a a primary or important category for talking about the issue. But I think that for most others, conscience is not the issue the issue is much more often fear, or its little brother, anxiety. Fear is different from conscience, of course, although there are some similarities between fear and conscience when you think about it. Like conscience, fear doesn't come up with its own content. It's a reaction. It's a reaction we have to something that we perceive. Uh, Not in this case a moral standard, but an approaching threat or danger. And even if we're ill-informed or mistaken about the nature of that threat, we still feel the fear. We still feel it in our guts, and we react accordingly. I suppose if you say that conscience is a moral hazard meter, fear is a danger meter. And just as some of us have more tender or sensitive conscience meters than others, so some of us are more fearful than others, more anxious, more risk-averse. Now, it's very possible to be too fearful, that is, for the level of our fear to be disproportionate to the actual threat, perhaps because we've overestimated the threat or are misinformed about it, or because our fear meter, our fear response is on the sensitive side. You'd say that a hypochondriac is someone who has a malfunctioning fear meter who gets anxious over every tiny symptom because it could possibly indicate a life-threatening disease. And the opposite is also true as well, it's worth pointing out. It's possible to be not fearful enough. I'm thinking of you, adolescent boys, and I suppose everyone who does not fear him who can cast soul and body into hell, as Matthew 10 says. Most of the debates I see around COVID-19 actually relate to fear and anxiety, not conscience. Because we're afraid of various things and we're afraid of them to differing degrees. We're afraid that the vaccines aren't really safe, that catching COVID will be life-threatening for us or our children or perhaps our elderly parents that gathering with other people increases our risk of catching the disease or passing it on, that mixing with the unvaccinated might be a particular threat to us. We're worried that it would be a PR disaster if our church became a super spreader, and so on. How we work through those fears and anxieties with individuals and, and as a Christian community, it will be similar, I guess, in some ways to how we would work through issues of conscience. We would be considerate Kind to each other, and we would recognize the different reactions we have. But there are key differences too, because fear and conscience are different, and the gospel speaks to them in different ways. How does the gospel speak to fear? How does the work of God in the gospel transform our experience of fear and anxiety? Well, that's a subject, isn't it? Whole books could be written about that. And in fact, they recently have. I know of two new titles about anxiety that are coming out from Matthias Media just in the next few months, I think early next year. And I'll give you some details about those, some advance warning about those uh, later on at the end. And so what I can do here is really only the briefest of summaries. But let me try. Through the Gospel of Jesus, God recalibrates our fear meter, he resets it by liberating us from the greatest fear of all, and that is the fear of death, as the letter to the Hebrew says in chapter two, that the cross sets us free from Satan and from the fear of death with which he kept us captive. It sets us free from the fear of judgment as well, as one John four says. Because we know that the sovereign God has loved us in his Son and has given us all things in him, we face life differently now. We face anything that life throws at us with a new joy and a new hope. Think of what Paul says in Romans 5 or Romans 8, towards the end of that chapter. We can cast our anxieties upon the God who loves us in this way, knowing that he does care for us, as 1 Peter says, chapter 5. We can cast our anxieties on him and pray for our anxieties, knowing that he has already won the victory that gives us peace. That's Philippians 4, in case you didn't recognize it. So the gospel does change our experience of fear. The gospel sets us free from the crushing burden, too, of our pride and our selfishness and our kind of inward-looking nature. The gospel and what God does in us through the gospel gives us a new heart, a new heart of love for others, so that we're willing to put ourselves in harm's way for the sake of others. The natural fear and timidity that we feel when we're threatened, perhaps threatened with suffering, this can be overcome by the power and the love and the self-control that God gives us by his Spirit. That's what Paul urges Timothy to do in the first chapter of 2 Timothy. As we grow in faith and love and hope, the kind of fear that belongs to our old life changes. It begins to diminish in many ways. The fear of death, the fear of what others might do to us, the fear that protects ourselves and our well-being and our possessions at all costs. This is why Christians have always been the ones to care for the sick during plagues, to give away their possessions rather than them, to treat lepers when no one else would. The new eyes of faith change our perception of fear. They change our perception of risk and control as well. When we come to understand that God is sovereign, not us, we realise, if we didn't realise it already, that events aren't within our control. The anxiety-producing illusion, and it's only bolstered by technology and our modern world, the illusion that we can master our environment, that we can control and manage every aspect of our lives and manage our futures, all of that dissolves when we realize that God's will determines our future, not us. We are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, as James says in chapter 4 of his letter. The gospel does change our experience of anxiety and fear. It doesn't eliminate fear from our lives, of course, or anxiety. If there's a genuine threat to our safety, then our fear meter alerts us to its presence and allows us to take evasive action. This is quite normal and and right. We also don't have to court danger deliberately and foolishly in order to show our gospel fearlessness, like the Christian snake handlers or those who've recently said that the blood of Jesus protects them from COVID-19. Nor can we avoid our fallenness and the fact that we'll sometimes be afraid or anxious when we needn't be, and vice versa. Sometimes we won't be afraid enough. This is because perhaps we're misinformed or we aren't thinking straight about the danger or because our faith, love and hope are still works in progress, which I guess they are for us all. Or because our fear and anxiety meter is malfunctioning for some reason. It's wonky for some reason. And sometimes we call that an anxiety disorder or a phobia. However, this is the key point, and it seems to me the key difference between fear and conscience. It is often right to act against our fears, whereas it's never right to act against conscience. We may need to exhort the fearful to overcome their fears through faith and love and hope as the New Testament quite often does. But we'd never exhort people to overcome their consciences. This will play out in how we relate to one another about COVID-19 and vaccination and those sorts of issues. In some circumstances, it will lead us to encourage one another to overcome our fears. In others, perhaps, to encourage one another not to downplay real threats, especially if our behaviour is a threat to other people. But in all things, it will mean to act in faith, love and hope. Speaking about the current situation in the part of the world that I inhabit here in Sydney, it does seem that the actual danger associated with COVID-19 is receding and quite significantly. With so many people vaccinated, I think we're approaching 80% at this point, the level of danger is now much diminished. It's much more like what it would be during a bad flu season, for example, in the past. In other words, in a bad flu season, there's always a a chance of catching the disease, a slight chance in such a big city, but a chance all the same. And if you do get that nasty flu and you're unvaccinated, it really can be nasty and even life-threatening, depending on your circumstances. But if you are vaccinated, the chances of catching the disease, of serious illness, certainly, and hospitalisation or even death, these are very small risks indeed. If you're old or otherwise medically compromised, those risks are greater. And the risk of experiencing a bad reaction to the vaccine, while not zero, is as close to zero as not really to be a threat or danger to us. That's how we'd think about things during a bad flu season, I suspect. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that COVID-19 is just like the flu as some overly fearless people did, especially early in the pandemic. It's clearly a much more virulent and transmissible and dangerous virus. But the massive levels of vaccination we've now achieved have changed the risk equation, it seems to me. From all that I've read, the level of danger we now experience is much diminished. So how do we think about things during a bad flu season? How is our fear meter functioning? Well, we do acknowledge that there are risks, And we take precautions, but we don't freak out. And I suspect that if our fear meter is currently blipping significantly about coming to church or mixing with people generally, whether those people are vaccinated or unvaccinated, if our meter is going off much more than it would have during a bad flu season in the past, I wonder if our fear meter may need some attention. Perhaps the level of anxiety we're experiencing has been stoked by just the general craziness of the last several months, uh, and by the opinions of others, especially those expressed in the mainstream media or on the internet. But in all of these circumstances, let's be patient and kind with each other, but let's help each other not to give in to fear, if that's the problem. Let's not give up meeting together, certainly, but let's keep encouraging each other, and all the more as the day draws near. Well, I confess to having a bit of fear myself in writing this piece, a bit of anxiety, particularly on behalf of those of you who might suffer from various kinds of anxiety issues or disorders. I know about this very well. Three members of my immediate family have or are being treated for anxiety disorders. And I know that there are multiple and complex reasons why our fear and anxiety response can become overactive or dysfunctional in some way like this. And dealing with that reality medically, professionally, not to mention coming to terms with it Christianly, it's not an easy thing. It's a difficult and real and complicated question. And there are two new books on this subject coming out from Matthias Media on thinking Christianly about anxiety, uh, due out in the first half of next year. Uh, The titles are Anxiety and Me by Guan Un, and when the noise won't stop by Paul Grimmond. My spies at Matthias Media tell me that Guan's book on anxiety, anxiety and me, is due out hopefully in January, so not too far away now. And uh, Paul Grimmond's book uh, a little bit later, perhaps in March or April. So that's the kind of expectation at this point. I'll tell you more soon as I know more. Today's post, of course, may raise all kinds of questions for you about anxiety and fear and also about COVID-19 and its details. Feel free to get in touch and let me know what you think. I did want to raise this question and put the subject of fear and anxiety on the agenda as we think about it, because I think it's the important subject in the midst of all of this. I know in this brief kind of post, I won't have been able to cover all the bases, but I hope this helped you to start thinking about this aspect of our reactions to the current circumstance and to think about it Christianly through the lens of the gospel because that's what we try and do here at The Painful Truth. Well, thanks again for listening and being part of the conversation here at The Painful Truth. Do get in touch by email at tonyjpain at me.com or you can head over to the website to thepainfultruth.online and leave a comment there as well. Well, thanks once again. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.